Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to welcome Claudia Miller. Claudia is a sought after career coach for women in tech, and she's helped her clients land fulfilling jobs at senior level. She also partners with companies and organizations in identifying rising stars within their organizations and providing strategic insights and support in developing a leadership and talent pipeline with a focus on women and women of color. Claudia Miller is a sought after career coach and she's helped her clients land fulfilling jobs in less than 90 days, all while getting an on average 54% increase in salary. And this is from like 30,000 to 140,000, wow. Due to her efforts and her work with top Fortune 500 clients and having been featured multiple times in Forbes, MSNBC, and Thrive Global, Business Insider put her in their global list of top innovative career coaches. Well, welcome, Claudia. This is so exciting to have you here today. Thanks, Jane. I'm so excited to be here, and especially with some of the topics we're going to be discussing today. I, I know. We're, we're kind of doing some different things in a very similar uh, focus with women in technology. Correct. I, I'm sure you've done some research on the statistics. Of course. I love to talk about, just back up everything with data, because the data is what tells the story, right? Right, right. And... You know, the, the, the one that, that I share so often is that in the large companies, in the Fortune 1000 companies, there are more CEOs named Michael and John than women CEOs. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and that actually, like you said, data tells a story. That actually tells a story about even bigger than that because those names, Michael and John, are very Northern European English names. Mm -hmm. And there's more of them than even anyone else. Then aggregately for <laughs> women CEOs of all types of names. <laughs> and, right. And for for even male CEOs of all types of names. So So it's you know, that, that, and it's not, not to bash any, anybody, but it just shows you what a white male club it really, it is because, and part of that's because we all have, you know, we, we want to work with people like us. So we hire people like us and it really, and that's why we're here because it takes something for us to step out of that. And as you say, create a pipeline. Because if there's nobody in the pipeline, there's not gonna be any senior women leaders. Exactly, and especially with, uh, when you look at the data where women are 
out are even more educated than our male counterparts. We have we hold more PhDs, master's degrees, and bachelors in comparison to men. Yet the they're not being represented, especially when it comes to senior leadership roles or even being part of the board members, um, right. which is quite astonishing as well. Right, because when you look at at the the data, women enter tech roles at about the same percentage. Some in some industries a little bit higher than men, and and some a little bit lower, but it's at about 50%. And they get to mid-level and then it starts going down. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. It's, it's not just like one reason. We have a culture of reasons for that. It's like a multitude compounded reasons <laughs> throughout the years. Yeah. And like you both and I, you and I both work with, I mean, I work with a lot of like managers, directors, senior directors, and even some executives as well. And it's just hearing from their side of the story where I can't believe that this happened to you or being, you know, almost pushed out of your role, even though you created this whole entire role and ran this whole department all because, you know, you got acquired or this new boss and brought in their own people and, Yet they have so much knowledge that when they leave, all of a sudden, those promotions all of a sudden are available. That salary increase that they've been begging and asking for years are now all of a sudden attainable within a few minutes. And usually by that time, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when so when you talk to women about, because we've got two sides, we've got women and the challenges women have, you know, the way we've been raised culturally um, to just to be in the background, to they'll recognize me because I'm doing a good job. Don't ask for things, just do the work and somebody will recognize me. So that's something as women, we get to take responsibility for. Correct. And then there are organ, then there are the organizational challenges where there isn't the support there isn't the recognition and so then you put that in the middle and it's even it makes it it's a double impact yeah i definitely agree with that um you know when it comes to these organizations i mean the data is there i mean we can talk for hours of like why it's the right thing to do to have more of a diverse, equitable organization, especially in senior leadership and board. Uh, but I also think about like it's also makes it makes business sense. It it's just it's a really great way because when you look at the data, it shows that you need to have at least thirty percent of women in senior leadership roles and in the board in order to actually see an impact. So mm-hmm. it's not just that one or two person that you have in that role saying, hey, look at us, we're diverse. It's you need to have at least 30%. And then organizations that have women in senior leadership roles that actually have around 30%, they see a decrease in risk, increase in innovation and patents, and also anywhere between a 10 to 20% profitability increase, all because they have a very diverse board and senior leadership roles. So it just makes business sense to say, hey, yes, we, we want to do the right thing. And also let's use this to, we can create more innovations. We can start, you know, even providing to new customer segmentations, different types of markets. And let's also mitigate risk because when we have more women in these senior leadership roles, it kind of, it decreases risk overall based on the data of what it shows. Exactly. And 
so what what do you find is one of the most powerful ways for organizations to really get behind that? If they truly want to make a change is one, being aware of what is the current state, where are they at? And that's just to really hold what is the temperature, what is the pulse looking like? And then afterwards, actually creating KPIs around it. And when you create KPIs, and usually as, you know, as a professional, especially in senior leadership roles, you know, you're supposed to meet your KPIs in order to really meet kind of like that bonus payout or whatever mm-hmm. incentives they have. So once you start implementing it as a KPI where it's trackable, we know the current state, what is this baseline? What do we need to acquire? And providing the resources in order for them to be able to acquire those specific KPIs, all of a sudden you'll start making change. Just saying, hey, we need to, we need to hire more diverse talent isn't going to be enough. And because a lot of them may not know how to find or attract diverse talent. They might still be using the same job posting that is very geared towards, you know, men, very masculine versus a very general tone. And even from there, how do we fill that talent pipeline? Are we posting our jobs in, you know, associations for women or very diverse associations or different types of uh, talents that is coming in through that pipeline? But again, it's just first is really assessing where are we at now to what are our KPIs? What can we measure? What do we want to measure? And how do we keep everyone accountable? Not just, hey, you HR are, are responsible for this because they also need support and everyone needs to be brought into this, not just HR because they can't dictate all of this. And then third, how do we provide resources to set up and enable us for success? That's so important. And, and as you said, HR can't be responsible for it because if you don't have the front frontline managers enrolled in what you're trying to do and mid-level leaders enrolled, they're not going to be on the lookout to say, okay, wh- what's missing here? What's missing? You know, oh, we do the best we can for our women leaders. The question is, what's what's missing? We've only got two women on a team of 12. What's what's missing with this? You know, it's it's great that you've got two women. And are they admin support or are they your technical support? You know, are they your actual technical team members? Yeah, I was like, there's a study from. McKinsey from Women in the Workplace, where it says that men and women usually get hired at the same rates. And usually when it comes to entry level, mm-hmm. and they get promoted for every 100 men that get promoted, 86 women get promoted. Therefore, as we compound, as we move up the career ladder, it creates a 75% drop, where now we have a very low number in women's senior leadership roles, because overall, when you get promoted, women are not getting promoted as fast or as much as men. And it's not that the talent isn't there, because like I mentioned, a lot of women are actually more educated um, than our male counterparts. So it's really understanding like what is happening and why is this happening? And like mentioned, breaking it down. Yes, we have a percentage or number of women in the workplace, but where are they at? At every single level and understanding what's preventing them, what is happening, not only from a company wide, because I do believe that there needs to be a company needs to be accountable, but also ourselves needs to be accountable. Mm -hmm. And you touched on that where, women need to do better at selling themselves. They need to do better at advocating, but 
when we meet that with a company that really is there to support and provide a very welcoming and a belonging sense of organization and is actually equal when it comes to promoting and offering these opportunities, that's when we really have a really great marriage between the two. Exactly. I had an experience years ago where I was managing a team for a very important client and I was doing a really great job. The challenge was that the company, the company that I was working for at the time, underbid that contract. So we weren't, so the contract was not making money. And the client really liked me. So I was penalized because my project was always was losing money every quarter. And I was penalized because the client really liked me. And so the company did not want to move me off of that project. Mm. And they had a hard time with, well, your project's losing money. And, you know, that was really a no-win situation. And I finally... I, you know, I talk, talk to people and now I know things that I could have done then that I had no clue to do, but I did what I could at the time. And I just, I finally left the company because I thought there's, there's nowhere I can't win. I'm not going to not do the it. The rule set up for you to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, it just, it reminds me, I feel like in a lot of these organizations and companies almost penalize their loyal employees. They only give you maybe a one to 3% salary increase. If you get a promotion, an 8% salary increase. Yeah. External candidates are willing to pay 20, 30, and even, even more in salary increases. Right. And I heard this quote that I really, really resonated with where it said, it was a hiring manager and an HR person talking. And the the hiring manager was saying, well, my employee is asking for a salary increase and I we just can't afford it. And the HR person said, well, if you can't afford it, we definitely have to pay them because we won't be able to afford someone externally. <laughs> we got to pay more, plus all the additional costs with hiring someone, getting them up to speed and onboard it, it is going to be way less expensive of just giving them the salary increase. And I see that over and over again with my clients because some of them do try to stay within the organization and I help them you know, create a salary plan and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and, and when it doesn't we start looking externally and then I mean like I said I had a client almost make $140,000 in addition to earned income so if you can imagine how much they were being underpaid all of a sudden the company is like well do you need a salary title increase we'd be more than happy to give you that uh what about salary I mean we can meet you somewhere there maybe can we give you RSUs but why then or why does it take for the position to be in that after the client has already applied to like a lot of jobs that went to the interview process, said thank you emails and everything. After all that work, now you want to just say, hey, actually, because we saw someone recognize your talent, now we're willing to you know negotiate with you and kind of see where we can meet. And at that point, it's just not even worth it. It's they're not feeling valued. They felt disrespected, and especially when a lot of my clients have been very loyal. Some of them mm-hmm. have been at their company for eight and even 20 years. Wow. And they were still being grossly underpaid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so from the company standpoint too, 
imagine what else you'll receive from that employee when they're also well paid. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, and that's a challenge that that we're seeing right now is, you know, it's like every month there's a new way to describe how people are just resigned. You know, now there's the Monday morning slowdown or something where people come in and they don't hit the hit the day running. They're like, take their time. And, you know, that has an economic impact on a company. Big loss of productivity. And yeah. That once that person leaves, a lot of knowledge walking out of that building, especially if they've been an employee for quite some time, it's, it's, you're not going to be able to find someone, especially <laughs> even if they're a really great candidate, external somebody is they're just not going to be able to acclimate that fast, especially when a person's walking out with, you know, 10, 20 years of experience behind them. Exactly. And, you know, we, we, it, we make leaders responsible for things and then we actually don't give them the authority to accomplish those things. Because they're now put in this box of, we can only pay these salary ranges, we can, you know, and, it, and it's not even like somebody sat down and thought about, well, let's try and discriminate. It's just the way it is and now that's just the way it is and we can't change it. Yet it was created by the same people who said we can't change it. Yeah, yeah. And yet they, they want employees to be loyal. And, and stick around, you know, stay, stay with the company. And yet they don't treat them that way. Mm -hmm. I always like to say, and I know that some people are always weird about, well, I don't want to seem like a job hopper. And, you know, things have changed so much within the workplace where I can understand why you wouldn't job hop, you know, years ago when you actually had a pension. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I can make a 20, 30% salary increase. And that's being conservative. If you're a woman, there could be usually, like I said, on average, my clients make a 54% in salary increases. That is just the yeah. average. So, you know, if you're making a hundred thousand, well, I can easily probably get you a job making $150,000, probably doing the same role, not even getting you a promotion. That is just getting you <laughs> the same role. And that's just how much they're being underpaid for these um, type of roles and settings. But nowadays it's actually a good thing too. Like sometimes when you're at a company for two, three years, you get to like get to learn new tools and systems you building a network maybe you had access to a different array of clients and then you go to the next organization and then you just you're just acquiring and when you look at top sought after candidates or top talent like people that work at apple and you know these specific niche like data scientists that you know everyone is fighting for when you see them bouncing around you don't think oh they're just job hoppers they're like no, it's more of like they, they're wanted so badly that they keep getting poached. Top talent gets poached from other top companies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when we see it as us, it's, oh, I, want, I don't want to seem like a job hopper. And instead it's really reframing that and really saying, well, I'm not a job hopper. I just know where my skill sets are valued. 
and I want to continue acknowledging or acquiring new skill sets or you know what when a company sees great talent I mean they just want to hire me and yeah I, I do get poached because of the value I bring to the organization but it's all about reframing your mindset especially adapting to today's marketplace exactly and that that's so critical that getting new new skills and and experiences because if you sit in one organization too long and unless you unless you're in an organization that really encourages you to move around but most organizations want you to do the job that you're doing who knows if in three years, two to three years, those skills are going to be valued the same way they are now. Yes. So that's a that's a great point for for moving from either within your organization saying no, I need to to move within my organization, or moving or organization so that you can you can show your capacity to learn and expand. One of the biggest things that I hear from my clients that have been at a company for quite some time, and I'm talking about 15 plus years, so 15, 25 years, they've been at the same company. Now they've been laid off or they're ready to start job searching. Their biggest challenge is I've been in my company for so long that I feel that I'm not going to be able to be competitive. Mm -hmm. I only know these specific set of tools and I don't really have an expansive network because I've all my network is in here. <laughs> Therefore, I feel like I'm not going to be as competitive as everyone else in the marketplace because I've been here. And I feel like I'm too niched down. I'm too niched and pigeonholed. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out. So I see from both sides, you know, from the entry level person that barely has an experience thinking they can't get hired, whereas person with a lot of years experience and who has been loyal to company now is worried they won't be able to be hired because they don't have a full array and range of skill sets. And they're just kind of to the specific and at the specific company. And they've only used these specific tools. And that becomes kind of like their, their disadvantage. Of course, I work with them in getting through this, but just really understanding, like seeing the other side that when the time does come, there's always an, another side to be argued where Loyalty, can it be at fault, especially when it comes to job searching? So what's your what's your advice to and I and I know this applies to everyone and we do want women to hear make sure they're listening. Well, definitely what I would recommend is usually when I, you know, when I start a job or have my client go into a job, my goal, should, their goal should always be you should leave your job better than what you walked in. So you should always be looking to improve your job whether it's processes, vendors, systems, whatever that is, you should always leave your job better than what you walked into it. Doing that in itself will create a lot of success throughout like a dominant effect in your career. Now, once we have that and you're doing that, I like to use like a, ray, a rule of thumb to say like, if you're an individual contributor, you should be in your role between two to three years max. If you're a manager or director, around three to five years. Now, when you're at executive level, people expect you to be in that role for seven plus years. But if you're an individual contributor, you've been in your role for five years, you've become stagnant at that point. And mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you're being underpaid. You need to, whether it's a ladder move and you're learning a different set of skills or managing different types of accounts, or maybe you're going from domestic to global, there needs to be a change. And you can't always blame, there will always not be opportunities within the company 
So my philosophy is if they don't promote you, go promote yourself, whether it's Mm -hmm. at another department internally or start looking for jobs externally, but you cannot stay where you're at now because that's when you become stuck. That's when all of a sudden you are not feeling like you're getting challenged. Now you're feeling left behind. Everyone around you is moving ahead. And now you're wondering, how are you going to get out of here? Especially because now you've been in this world for so long that you don't even know if you can do something else. So really mm-hmm. continue moving is really going to, like I said, whether it's internal or external, continue moving and follow that rule of thumb. And it'll take you farther in your career at faster rates than just waiting for someone to promote you or, or tap you on the shoulder to say, hey, it's time. You know, I think you're ready for this type of role. <laughs> Yeah, because because by the time you're ready, they're they're looking at you as oh she knows that job so well we can't afford to promote to move her. Yeah, or they'll just give you a four percent salary increase and give you the responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for example, I had a client who had been with our company for ten years. She actually created an application system that was won an awards. It was warm or not, it disrupted the the market, and. She was promised a manager role, but because she didn't have the manager experience, they said, you know, just do the role. And then once you acquire experience, then we'll give you the title and the pay. Well, this was going on for three years. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Then received a promotion and a salary increase. This is after the salary increase. She still found out she was still being underpaid by $50,000. And that was at the lowest range of the salary. And not only that, her direct reports were getting paid more than her. Yeah. So again, it comes to that point of ideally I would never have, obviously now she would never do that again, but it's don't take on that role. Don't take on the responsibilities because it's going to be a lot harder to do versus right now when they're offering it, start having that conversation, start talking about salary. And then if they can see that potential for you to do the job without the title and the salary, then you clearly have already the skill sets. Yes. That's so, that's so good is to, is to remember if they if they want you to stay they value you and the way organizations show value is pay and promotion mm-hmm. and even i love the fact you brought jane and where it was like you were so good your clients didn't want you to leave and now you're stuck well then you can use that as leverage and then go apply to another department internally or just go externally or work Mm -hmm. for the client. But don't let that be that hindrance to say, because I mean, I've seen this in so many situations and I used to be in that situation myself too, is I'm so great that they don't want to, they don't want you to leave. Therefore, and they're not giving you salary increases. They're just giving you great job chain and we're so happy. And you know, at the end of the day, does that pay the bills, especially with this inflation rate, the price of eggs and everything happening. At the end of the day, this is still a business transaction. Pay mm-hmm. me for my skill set based on what the marketplace is paying. That is it. Not asking for even more. It's just fair market rates. Pay me the same as a white male counterpart. Yeah. That is all I'm asking. And yes, sometimes it will be 40, 50% more because that's how much we're being underpaid. Yes. Yes. Well, Claudia, if you can imagine our 30 minute, our time's just about up. <laughs> yeah. So what... What last piece of advice story would you like to share? Uh, Definitely when it comes to job searching or just your career, you need to have that proactive approach. Like I mentioned, continually moving, 
you don't promote, they don't promote you, promote yourself, always negotiate your salary. That should be non-negotiable. It should be something as common as, you know, signing your, what is it, W-2 form. <laughs> it should be as common as that. The sign negotiation is just part of the process. Um, especially if you're a woman or person of color, you need to negotiate because clearly the data shows that we are not paid fair market rates. So therefore we need to also advocate for ourselves and back it up with data. When mm -hmm. you back it up with data, that's where we have leverage. And that's when, you know, we're, yeah. we're able to get that amount. And what I'm going to add to that is practice that conversation with somebody so that you don't. Or a pet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just practice. <laughs> practice saying, I want this amount of money until you can say it without choking. Cause that's another thing is we're, we're so often as women, we're so afraid to ask. So we don't ask and, and we know we should negotiate. I mean, and we still don't ask because we've never said that amount out loud. And so practice saying it out loud and asking for what you really want and be willing to share the value that you bring to the organization. Don't hide, don't hide. Oh, you know, I can do this. No, claim what you can do. That's another area that women really get to step forward in is claiming their value. Yeah. And now that we talked on sign negotiation, um, you know, that's something I can, I'm going to share with your listeners and it's my $10,000 word for word sign negotiation script. Ooh. It's a script my clients have used. And one, one of my clients recently, literally about three weeks ago, used it and she had received a 30 K salary increase, but I like to stay conservative at least get you $10,000 more. It's a word for word sign negotiation script where you can just read it, preferably highly recommended to practice it. So that way it comes out naturally when you start having those conversations. And it even has like a specific script. If they say this, you answer with this. If they say that, then here's the second answer. So it makes it really easy for them to follow along. And like I said, and we both said, please practice it, whether it's with a pet, in front of a mirror, with your partner or friend, whoever it is, definitely practice it. And it's going to, you'll be astonished how easy it is once you do it on how to negotiate your salary. So how I, do they, how do they get that from you? Um, I'll give you the links here, probably included in your show notes. Yes. And then they can go there and click through it and they'll get access to that um, just to so make it. They'll easy. be looking for it in the notes That That's great. Thank you, Claudia. This has been so great. Thank you, Jane. I'm so happy to be here. And to all your listeners, please let us know what did you find most useful from this conversation, you know, by leaving a review. We, I'm sure like we always want to know what did you enjoy the most? What did you find uh, most insightful? Uh, just because it helps us even dive in deeper to these conversations. Yes, so true. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you.